Hey, this is Rory Boylan. I've been MIA here for the last little while because I'm a dad now. Beautiful daughter born on July 20th. Both mom and girl are healthy. Everybody's happy. And my life is completely changed here. Um, I'll still be away for the next little while, but I'll be back ahead of the start of the new season as training camps open and we can get started talking about how the NHL is going to change this year. All the things that have happened over the summer, our projections for the new season. It's going to be a great new year on the Tape to Tape podcast. But in the meantime, here's Ryan Dixon and Luke Fox as they catch you up on all the NHL happenings of the past couple weeks. Well, you heard it straight from the new Papa's mouth. Rory Boylan, he is out indefinitely (laughs) because for the best possible reason, he is a new proud Papa. I'm here with another proud Papa, Luke Fox. Thanks for jumping into the booth today. Yeah, happy to do it. And big congratulations to Rory and his family. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Awesome. Huge, great time for the Boylan clan. There is still hockey to talk about, so... We, of course, are going to address what's been going on in Vancouver, where Team President Trevor Linden, I would say a shocking split, I think especially given his standing in that team, in that community, to do that and break down what's going on on the left coast. We're going to bring in Corey Hirsch, the color analyst for Sportsnet 650 on the Canucks broadcast, get his take on what went down in the Canucks front office and what might be ahead for Vancouver. Also, we're just going to go around the bases here, Luke. We've got some somewhat recent news to talk about with some arbitration cases that shook down and also just the the usual sort of July happenings and non-happenings, some trades that haven't happened yet. We are going to also, thankfully, talk about a trade that did just happen. Jeff Skinner headed to Buffalo, but I want to start with Mark Stone and the Ottawa Senators. I don't know what adjective to put in front of the Senators anymore because things have, wow, have they gone sideways in the nation's capital. So Stone was set for an arbitration ruling. The team and player came together on a one-year deal, $7.35 million. He can now become an unrestricted free agent next summer and unless i'm missing something they're essentially on the clock now to trade this guy he is in the exact same maybe not the exact same based on or in terms of relationship with the organization but very very similar to eric carlson who we thought probably would have been traded by now but with each day that goes the team loses leverage as the player gets closer to being able to pick his own destination. I cannot imagine a scenario. I don't know the details of the inner workings of Mark Stone's mind. Maybe he has found his forever home in Ottawa. I don't know, but I suspect based on everything that's gone on in there, it's a tough pitch these days to say, Hey, do you want to stick around here for eight years? Am I missing something or do we now have to start Mark Stone trade watch because they just can't be put in a situation where this guy could leave for nothing in the summer of 2019? Yeah, you have to consider it. I mean, let's be honest. This is a disaster. It's a disaster. So right now, Matt Duchesne, Eric Carlson, and now Mark Stone are all free agents next summer. You know, you take those guys away. What do you have left? Then you have... 
Craig Anderson, their number one goalie, who has requested a trade out of town. Cody Cece, one of their bright young defensemen. They told other teams no, that they weren't trading him in past deals. They wanted to keep this young prospect. He went all the way through and had his arbitration case heard. It seems like they can't get anything settled with anyone. And I mean, I know they're trying to save money, but at some point you have to build a team here. You have, you have to pay some guys. So if you didn't think you could get stone on a long-term deal, let's give the sense the benefit of the doubt. They think they've got some young guys coming. Mark stone is, I feel like he is a coach's dream. He's the rare winger who could maybe win the Selkie trophy someday. He was a point, a game player in an injury shortened season he, you know, at least said he would like to be part of the the solution in Ottawa, I think, before the season mm-hmm. was over. But if you can't get him on a long-term deal when he's still an RFA right now, pretty quickly you start connecting the dots and realize we may be in a position to trade this guy where we kind of have to. Aren't you miles ahead to say, let's trade him now when we trade him to a team that can retain his rights that can probably negotiate a contract extension with him. I mean, what do you get for Mark Stone if you put him in play at the draft? I would say if you're looking for futures, Mark Stone, given his age and ability, is the kind of player that a team would say, you know what, we will give you our best prospect or our second and third best prospect for that guy. I mean, if you kind of thought it might be coming to this, weren't you – obliged to try and get in front of it and move him when you could get so much more for him? Yeah, absolutely. And who's to say they they didn't try, right? I I, mean, mean, we don't know, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there were some conversations, you know, when people see that he's RFA, I'm sure they call because who wouldn't want a guy like that? One thing about Mark Stone, he's amazing at takeaways. Like he plays such a fierce defensive game for a winger and coaches like love a, a guy like Mark Stone. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because in theory, he still could sign a long-term extension with the Sens, but that can't happen until January 1. And where are we then? Like, are the Sens at the bottom of the standings by Christmas time? And then you have to rent them off to get something yeah. from to salvage it. But you may still be able to get something. We saw some guys that were traded at, at this past deadline and some first rounders were, were salvaged. So maybe you get a first rounder and we know they need picks now, but Things have gone so off the rails in the in the last 12 months in the nation's capital. It, it's ridiculous. And we haven't even mentioned Mike Hoffman's name. Who's going to score goals for this team? <laughs> it's crazy. And you know what? Let's try and throw some kind of crumb to the Sens. I mean, I guess you could take the analytics approach of there's got to be some kind of regression here because it's like their shooting percentage is 2%. Like, I guess... Some things have got to break Ottawa's way more so. I mean, who knows? Maybe they have the Alex Fermentons or some of their young guys all of a sudden are making an impression next November. And someone like Stone says, well, I think there's a future here, but I I just do not see it. One guy who did get traded, another winger who can certainly play some hockey, Jeff Skinner traded from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Buffalo Sabres in return. Cliff Pooh, second rounder in 2019, third and sixth in 2020. Underwhelming return for Skinner. He can be a UFA next year, obviously has a long uh, uh, history with concussions and, you know, being in and out of the lineup, but 
also long track record of scoring goals. I'd say underwhelming for sure. He had a kind of an off year, much like Max Pacioretty, another uh, left winger that we'll probably get to. But um, the year before that, he had 37 goals. You know how hard it is to score 37 goals, especially for you know a, a team like the Hurricanes that needed more scoring. Like they have a great young defense core and they need scoring and then they get rid of Skinner and uh, Elias Lindholm. Like, I'm just scratching my head at the direction of of Carolina right now. It just screams penny pinching to me, to be quite honest. You know, this is kind of like a rebuild move where you're going for for more picks, but this team is the team with the longest playoff drought uh, in the whole league, and they have attendance issues. So they're at a stage where they need to get into the playoffs. So why are you giving away all your goal scoring? Uh, Like, I really don't know what direction Tom Dundon is taking this team because I don't see a lot of positive in their moves of of late, except, you know, it's going to help their bottom line. I wonder if one of the happier people with the trades is Buffalo's number one center, Jack Eichel, who could be playing with uh, a more skilled LW than he's seen uh, at times throughout his, his first three years. And uh, who knows what kind of chemistry those two, if they do get to play together may, uh, may find and, and unlock even more, Point production capability in both of those two very skilled guys. You mentioned Pacioretty. Like Skinner, a guy who can score goals. He's even got a uh, a better resume than Skinner. He's three years older. He does turn 30 in November. Like Skinner, he is also eligible to hit the open market next summer. But when I look at this trade through the lens of Blue Blanc A Rouge, it reinforces the notion to me that if you're a Canadians fan, you better be prepared to be less than blown away for the Pacioretty return, which I think to some degree has always been the case just because of the dynamic of we're going to find a defenseman or a center by trading a winger. I mean, I don't want to trot out the Taylor Hall trade here, but I've always felt like the Pacioretty trade, whenever it happens, is going to be the light version of Taylor Hall in that you are trading a guy who plays the least desired position for and trying to solve problems at the two most highly coveted. So there's going to be a discrepancy. Now, Oilers fans are probably still not over the discrepancy that there's turned out to be between Taylor Hall and Adam Larson, but you don't trade an A-plus winger for an A-plus defenseman. It doesn't work like that. You don't trade an A-plus winger for an A-plus center. So whatever grade you've assigned to Pacioretty, you're getting a lower grade if you're bringing in a guy from center or defense. And things seem to have gotten so rotten between the Canadians and Pacioretty now. It sounds like there's not even a hope of an extension. There's no do over here or saying, let's forget the past. My question is now, especially if you look at the Skinner return, do you say that seals it? We have to let him start the season here. Hope he scores 10 goals in October and jump on a trade then. Yeah, I think that might be the better play just because... They're trying to trade him when his stock is probably the lowest it's ever been. I mean, his season was awful, right? By Patriotty standards. Absolutely. So I think maybe, you know, they've made some roster adjustments. I know Shea Weber's still going to be out, but hopefully some of the other players are a little bit healthier. And, you know, the promise of a clean slate, a brand new season, you know, maybe he can get off to a hot start and kind of up his own trade value. And, 
like not only so that the Habs can get a nice return, but for himself, like his confidence is probably low. You know, the best advice someone could give him, you know, and hopefully people close to him are saying, just, just play, play well, get some goals. Then there'll be interest. And then you might have a a little bit of say in where you're going to finish out the season or play the following season. If, you know, it's a long shot, but if the Habs keep him for one more year, but the Montreal's just in such a tough spot. So you could, yeah, you could sell Pacioretty off for pennies on the dollar and get some picks. But when you're paying Shea Weber and Carey Price all this money, are you not kind of still trying to go for it a little bit? It's just, I, I feel like they're kind of caught in between trying to play both games because if they have so much money tied up in some of their core players. Yeah, it's difficult to live with uh, one foot in each world when on one hand, oh, we're trying to win, and on the other hand, oh, we're trying to restock. Rebuild on the fly, I've said yeah. it a million times. Rebuild on the fly, my ears here. I want to lose 20 pounds, but I don't want to change my diet, and I don't want to go to the gym. Well, good luck. You know, yeah. you, you have to make the ugly sacrifices if you want to move forward. Well, one team we know that uh, was... Uh, was willing to make some sacrifice, and things have turned out better than they ever dreamed, I would think. The Toronto Maple Leafs, William Nylander, a guy, I guess he was technically drafted before they were officially rebuilding, but Nylander was part of a crew of NHLers who were in Toronto recently for Smash Fest 7, I think it was, That's hosted right. by Dominic Moore. You've been at the past number of Smash Fests. Tell us about this year's event, what, uh, you know, some of the guys you bumped into there, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the cover boy for EA uh, NHL 19 in Sweden, Nylander, what his future might be with the Leafs. Yeah, it was it was a blast. It, it always is. Dominic Moore does a great job raising money for concussion research and for uh, rare cancers as well. And he puts on a great event. It's, it's really light and fun, and, and fans have a blast because they... They literally get to rub shoulders with these guys. There's a pro-am component to the ping-pong tournament. So Willie Nylander and his partner, who's just a fan who paid some money, they ended up winning the pro-am. So And Milos Raonic was a, a surprise guest because uh, uh, Dominic has ties to the tennis world yeah, as, as well. Yeah, he's a big tennis guy, right? Yeah, so for local fans especially, it was a big night because um, more having played that one season as a Leaf, he was able to bring out a lot of the, the current Leaf. So Marner was there, Nylander. Uh, Hyman and Brown. Uh, he brought back Dougie Gilmore, which was his hero growing up, and Doug had been there w- once before. Um, so there, there was a, a heavy Leafs presence, um, which was nice to see. And, and yeah, Willie was asked about his contract. I asked him, you know, if, where things stood. And it's kind of like they're being patient. It's kind of wait and see. And I don't think Leaf fans should panic just yet. But if he's not signed by the first day of camp, then it's going to be a massive story. But I did ask him if he was thinking, you know, bridge maybe and light up some points, you know, with the addition of Tavares, maybe the Matthews line gets a little bit less attention and, and Nylander could explode and even get beyond the, the 61 points he did in his first two years. Uh, and he said, no, he said he wants a long-term deal right now. And I know Matthews wants the same. And I, I think these three guys that are coming up, Nylander now and Marner and Matthews next summer, if not earlier, I think they're all thinking long-term and Kyle Dubas is thinking the same thing. Well, we know he was on the 31 Thoughts podcast saying, mm-hmm. you know, in the immediate after Matthew Tavara signing saying we're keeping all our guys non-leafers don't want to hear this but it's officially become a place as we saw from Tavares that people want to come and it's a place people who are here want to stay now right like why wouldn't you and I don't think 
anyone is going to let themselves be robbed in any sense, but you certainly get the the feeling from the guys who are already here that they want to make it work, that it's a conversation with management about, yes, I want my money, but let's be reasonable and let's find a way to keep this thing together because we think we're headed somewhere great. Yeah, and they're actually friends off the ice. Like, these guys are close. And, um, you know, Babcock talked about about before about guys growing up together, going through experiences together. And that's how you build, build a team properly. So, but the money thing is going to be really interesting. Tavares kind of set the tone a little bit. He could have got a little more elsewhere in terms of cap hit, but they did some creative things with signing bonuses and the way they structured it to help him out a little bit. And on a, on a lower level last summer, Connor Brown, he did take way less than, than he could have pushed for coming off a 20 goal season. So the tone has kind of been set. Let's all take a little bit less to keep the band together you know Connor mcdavid took a tiny bit less to help the right. oilers re-sign dry but we'll see what happens we don't really know what matthews is thinking if he wants to swing for the fences here and and, and get <laughs> as much as possible but it's like a give and take in a cap world if you want to do that you could end up where the oilers are where now they're a little bit stuck well it's interesting when you get into the symbolic nature of the salary too and like does matthews want to make you know, one more dollar than Tavares or, you know, people are always oh, going to make more than Tavares. I think, I think he's going to approach like, McDavid. so you think he's between the 11 and 12 and a half. Yeah. Cause his cap has gone up since McDavid signed. Yeah. I know McDavid has a better resume with a, with a heart and yeah. a, a couple art Rosses, but you know, Matthews also plays in a pretty important market and you're buying eight years of, of the prime, of prime, 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 yeah, prime. That's the, true. the dude's only 20 years old, right? Yeah. So, it's going to be a fascinating one when that comes out. Absolutely. Well, no shortage of things to talk about on the other side of Canada as well. Big news coming out of Vancouver recently. Trevor Linden, Mr. Canuck, really, leaving the team. Not a whole lot in the way of, of details as you'd expect. And I don't think we're going to hear much from the horse's mouth anytime soon. But we are going to hear from Sportsnet's Corey Hirsch. He is going to join us on the pod to give us his take on what is happening with the Canucks. That is Corey Hirsch coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. I fully recognize what I'm getting into. I know that this market is passionate about the game. I know that there's an educated group of, of, of you folks that have opinions and uh but I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, I think to be have the opportunity to work in this market that cares about this team, that is passionate about the game, that wants to win, uh, that's totally switched on, I can't ask for a better situation. Ah, yes, the positivity and hope from Trevor Linden. Four and a half Linden years ago, eye. yes, it has been washed away. A surprise announcement coming from Vancouver Canucks mm-hmm. and Trevor Linden. Yeah, this is huge. Trevor Linden, he's no longer the president mm-hmm. of the Vancouver Canucks. The news came down just after 7.30 Eastern tonight. The Canucks say it was an amicable departure. Well, there's always a little bit more to the story than what the, the teams put out in these releases. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear in this case that there was uh, a difference of opinion about the way forward for the Canucks between Trevor Linden, the president of the team, and Francisco Aquilini, uh, who's the most involved uh, member of ownership. It is hot and sticky out. That means we are right in the middle of non-hockey season. So we're very lucky today to be joined by the color analyst 
for Sportsnet 650 Canucks broadcast. Corey Hirsch. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, the news about Trevor Linden leaving the Canucks certainly caught a lot of us off guard. I think a lot of fans were floored by it. What was your initial reaction when you heard the Canucks legend, Trevor Linden, was leaving the organization? Well, I was on air with Andrew Walker. We had our show all planned out, and it was a slow news day. So we were like, what are we going to talk about? And then all of a sudden, boom, that dropped on our laps. But I think we're all surprised. I think we all knew there was a little bit of, of dissension between the Aquilinis and Linden. You know, I, I don't know if dissension is the right word or if there was a term of they didn't really see eye to eye on a lot of things. But the organization, the team on the ice was going in the right direction, right? I mean, they're developing prospects. They've got some good young players. Uh, they're doing it through the draft. All the ways that, you know, Colorado was doing it now, Nashville, all the teams that are winning. So it was a bit of a surprise to see that something like this went down. Uh, Colini's believe that the organization should be moving a little bit faster. And when you're the owner, I mean, you have every right to do whatever you want with your business. It's his business. And if, if it means, you know, replacing Trevor or them not seeing eye to eye and moving in a different direction, that's their business. You referenced it. And I think the sense is essentially there was just a different vision for how this was going to be executed. And I don't know if I should call it a rebuild because that's the trigger word for some people. But would you say in the most basic terms, it was that Lyndon was prepared to really ride it out for a while and that may not have necessarily worked for ownership? I think that's exactly it. I think so. When you look at you as an owner, you're running a business, right? You know, you're, you're trying to put the best product you can on the ice and make a chance to make the playoffs every year. And I think the way Trevor was viewing it was, look, we're going to be patient. We're going to develop our prospects. And in two years, we're going to make a Stanley Cup run. You know, rather than uh, right now, this year, we're going to try and make a Stanley Cup run because it's not going to happen. And then our young players will suffer. I think that was kind of the views of, of Trevor. And he's not, you know, in my opinion, I mean, he's not wrong. But the Aquilinis, I believe, um, felt like they could move it along a little bit quicker. And, you know, we'll see how it all plays down. I don't know how you can speed up a rebuild anymore because it's not like there's just a million free agents out there that are, are, are such different makers that are going to sign with your team. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this all goes. Ian McIntyre wrote a, a really interesting column this week about the relationship between Lyndon and Jim Benning. And I'm just curious, your year with, with the team, what kind of sense did you get about the relationship between the uh, former president and the GM? You know, I, I was surprised. I had never, ever got a sense that, um, you know, there was anything in between them. But I, I, we still don't know exactly what happened, right? It's tough to say that Jim didn't help Trevor out here, or didn't back Trevor up. But, you know, I, I know Jim, and I've met him many times, and I've talked to him many times, and, and he's, I, I really enjoy, I like Jim. I think he's he's a good man. I think he's a good hockey man. You know, for them not to see eye to eye, I could see that. For him not to back up Trevor on something, well, I, I don't I don't necessarily know if, I wasn't in the room. Um, I don't know if, if that is possibly true, but like I said, again, when the owner comes down and says, you know, this is what I want, you have the right as a GM or as a president. Well, you can either help with that vision or you can do, you know, like Trevor did and amicably say, no, you know, that's not what I want to do and go your separate ways. 
so it sounds like Jim kind of took Aquilini's side a little bit and thought maybe he could speed up the rebuild a little bit. So is there animosity between Trevor and Jim? I don't know for sure. I mean, I've heard rumblings of it, but I wasn't in the room. And unless you were in the room and you heard the conversations, it's tough to sit here and make judgment. Mm-hmm. On a, a lighter note, well, like one of the, the bright news stories for the Canucks is is this kid, Quinn Hughes, um, who they feel like they absolutely stole at the draft. And now he's lighting it up at the, the World Junior Showcase. Uh, what are your thoughts on the decision to keep him in, in college for another year? I mean, just watching him, he is absolutely, he's tearing it up right now. I don't think it's a bad decision. You know, I'm not sure uh, development-wise, uh, you know, he probably could have stepped up a level, but the NHL is a big step. He's going to go, he's going to have a great year, he's going to play World Juniors, all that stuff. It's good for his development, I think, in the sense that he's going to play a lot of minutes. Now, if he was going to come and play in the NHL and play 20 minutes a night, uh, then the NHL would have been the best place for him. I, I would think that they felt like, you know, all together that he wasn't going to get the minutes that would help him develop as a player at the NHL level. Like, he would have to really step it up. But I think they got a great player. And that's this This goes back to the Trevor, you know, the whole thing is that this is the direction Trevor wanted to go in, right? The young players, develop them, be patient, you know, keep drafting, keep doing this. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out two, three years down the road because maybe, just maybe Aquilini's right or maybe he's wrong. Like, we won't know for three to four years this whole decision with Trevor. But Trevor made some good decisions in the sense that they've got some good young players. This kid was, they felt was the second best defenseman in the draft and they're excited to have him and they should be. You mentioned it. I mean, he plays into, you know, he joins what I think is suddenly become a better prospect pool than some people certainly myself realized a year ago before we saw what Besser did in his rookie year before we saw what Elias Pedersen did over in Sweden. I mean, all of a sudden, halfway through this year, you were looking at the Canucks team saying, hey, there there really might be something there. So, you know, again, long term, and I am loath to make Toronto-Vancouver comparisons because I know that's a hot-button issue for a lot of people, but I am curious to get your yep. take on the fan base mentality because we heard for years in Toronto, although they'll never accept a, a rebuild, which I always thought was the biggest load of malarkey because I thought you're already getting the losing. It might as well be in service of something. And sure enough, you had someone, I mean, and again, there's parallels between Shanahan and Lyndon come in and say, okay, everyone bite down. This is what we're going to do. And granted, it went better than even they would have ever expected in their wildest dreams. But they decided it was, you know, time to take their medicine. Lyndon, as established, seems to be on that page. Do you think there are more Canuck fans who are saying, what are we doing? We were just kind of, you know, starting to get on the right path. I'm more than happy to endure some more losing if it means we get back to those 2009, 10, 11 days when we have teams that can go to the final. Or do you think there are more saying, oh, hey, maybe we're good now. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think there's more seeing Trevor's vision. <laughs> you know, they, the Canucks went 8-1-1 one and one in the last 10 games and all over the Twitter feed and and everything uh, was the fans going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop <laughs> so we can get a, a higher pick. So I think the fans have bought in. You know, the way I look at it, I look at Montreal. Okay, so Montreal keeps trying to plug holes, keeps trying to sign, you know, make trades and do it the old way. And it doesn't work. It really doesn't work in a salary cap era. And they're in a lot of trouble. Whereas Toronto finally, like you said, they, they you know, they bit down and this is what we're doing and it's paying off. So, 
you know, it's proving that now more than ever, you have to build through the draft. So the Canucks do have some really good prospects. They've got some good young players. I didn't really understand the signing of Beagle and Roussel. I like them both as players, but I don't like signing both of them to four-year contracts because you've got all these young prospects that you need to give an opportunity to play. Now they're coming in and there's no room. You know, there's, there's guys taking ice time away from these young guys. So I didn't really quite understand that. I don't know if Trevor was a fan of that, you know, those signings, but I think the fan base wants to see the next chapter. They want to see these young guys play. They want to see a uh, Cole in. They want to see Quinn Hughes. They want to see Elias Pettersson, Jonathan Dolan. They want to see that next wave of young generational players come through. And it's exciting to watch those young guys. And Toronto's finally done it right. And Toronto now should be a playoff team for the next 10 years. That's because they've done it right. Where does Montreal go from here? One of those young guys you haven't mentioned yet is Thatcher Demko. And I'm really curious how the Canucks handle their goalie situation because at what point do you give up on Jacob Markstrom and say he's not a number one goalie? How many chances how many seasons do you get out of him before you make that final decision and then how do you balance that with bringing in Demko to potentially a losing team and and what that could do for a goalie's confidence so I'm interested in your insight on on the goalie situation yeah well here's, here's how I look at it the guys the two guys last year did get the job done okay now Jacob Markson was much better in the second half started to really play really well but Still, they did get the job done. They still weren't good enough. The team wasn't good enough. And when that happens, well, you look at replacing that. So Thatcher Demko has an opportunity here. And if I'm the Canucks, I give him every opportunity to make this team. I play him in three or four exhibition games. I'll give him a half game and then a game here and then send him to the minors and say here that that's all you get. You didn't do it. you got to give him three or four games and give him every opportunity to make the team. If he doesn't play well, well, then he sealed his own fate, right? you got to send him back to the minors. That's just the way it is. If he plays lights out, and he's just as good as the other two, well, you have to give him an opportunity to to be on the team. And then you make a decision of moving Nielsen or whatever. But as of right now, I think Jacob Marks should be given this year. You you still give him half a season to solidify being a number one guy, see how he does. But you have to look at it like these guys didn't get the job done last year. And if you're going in the same direction this year, it's time to give somebody else a chance. Well, certainly will be a... Interesting team to follow. Just quickly, Corey, how uh, odd will it be watching a Canucks outfit without Daniel and Henrik Sedin for the first time in just about two decades? I know it's absolutely, it's going to be weird not seeing them on the bench, but what a great pair of human beings and just uh, uh, they're just such good people and they'll be around the rinks i'm sure and they'll be uh <laughs> with the organization and we'll see them but it's going to be difficult to not see them but the organization and the fans they were ready for a change and daniel and Hedrick knew that too they knew that their time had come to an end and they did it right they did it properly uh it was very um the send-off was outstanding but it's time to see the new guys let's see what these young guys can do and give them an opportunity All right. Well, thanks for giving us an opportunity to chat with you here in the dog days of summer. We certainly appreciate it, Corey. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That is Sportsnet's own Corey Hirsch, a man who knows that Canucks team very well based out in Vancouver. I have to say, Luke, just listening to his take on where the fans were mentally, like I think half, not half, more than half the battle 
in selling a rebuild is getting the public on board with it, right? We're seeing teams, including Vancouver, back a few months ago, write letters now and do all kinds of things to, if not come right out and say it, you know, I just look at it as treat people like adults, you know, give it to me straight. We all sort of understand what probably needs to happen here. Let's just do it. And it seems like Vancouver was more than a couple steps down the path. And even though things probably weren't going to come to fruition, you know, next year or the year after, as opposed to, as I said, 12 months ago, when I was sitting here going, what are they doing? I'll be the first to tell you they had guys immediately perform either in the NHL or at lower levels. I think beyond what many people thought, I mean, Pedersen is, you know, challenging Peter Forsberg's record in Sweden. You were just starting to look at Vancouver, especially after drafting. He was going, you know what? Give it a couple years. And now, I mean, it's not like Benning's going to go out there and trade the young talent away for 30 year old guys. We know that's not going to happen, but it seemed like, the vision Linden had, it was, you were just starting to get a sense of like, Hey, this could come to fruition. And now they're kind of veering a different way. And my question is, even if you're worried about attendance, like how many more seats are you selling saying, well, come watch this team that might win five more games this year. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure you, you do. I think you have two choices. I think as owners, you either sell winning or you sell hope and the Canucks are in, in that hope pile right now with, and they're finally stocking the cupboards which, you know, Mike Gillis didn't do a great job of. But I think that's one thing Benning has done is he's brought in the, the Pedersons and, and guys like that. And now Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser, like there are guys that are coming. So you have to be patient. So, yeah, it's it's curious because if Lyndon was preaching patience and now that he's out, but there's probably more to it. We don't even sure we don't even know. The one difference between um, Vancouver and Toronto is Toronto's building is sold out all the time, even when they're awful, even when there's no hope. Whereas Vancouver, you know, that they, they kind of do vote with their dollars and attendance is, has gone down significantly over the past four years. And if your ownership, you probably start to panic a little bit because this is your money. So that's the one, the one tricky thing is Vancouverites seem to, you know, stop going to the rink if, if the team's losing. But hopefully, you know, Brock Besser was electric last yeah. year. And if you get a couple more guys like that, maybe the ship will turn around. Yeah, we will see. Uh, Certainly not easy going out there with some very, very good teams in the West. Well, that has been your dog days of summer edition of the tape to tape podcast. Big thanks to Luke for stepping in in place of my usual co-host Rory Boylan. Sportsnet also saying goodbye to uh, one of the day oneers, as uh, as he's referred to, Darren Millard. Certainly going to uh, miss Darren. Always a, a good guy to bump into. Yeah, I really like Darren, and I remember it was my first day here. This was years ago, and he was the first person from from the TV side, from the personality side, to welcome me to the team. And he always would, you, you know, stop and chat and talk about different articles that were going on in the site. And, you know, that, that meant a lot, you know, kind of bridging the gap between yeah. TV and, and the written side. Those and, big divas over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, he'll, he'll definitely be missed for sure. He was great at his job. Absolutely. Well, that will do it for this edition of Tape to Tape. We will be back probably toward the end of this month. We suspect we'll get 
that Rory Boylan back in the booth by then should be some more NHL news by then, we would think. And it'll be time, crazy as it sounds, to start gearing up for training camp, which will, of course, be coming just a couple of weeks after that. So make sure you check out the Tape to Tape podcast at sportsnet.ca. Subscribe in iTunes. Follow Luke on Twitter at Luke Fox Jukebox. Myself, Dixon on sports. And come back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape. Yeah.